What is the cause of relationship drama? And how can you move past it? If we take a look at those earliest chapters of Genesis, we can find the cause of all relational tension between the genders, whether man to woman or parents to kids. Whether you are dating, engaged, married, or dealing with drama, this study will give you the tools to handle what lies in front of you and teach you how to become more present, resilient, and forgiving in your relationships. Let's dive right in. Okay, what the heck are we talking about? This is a crazy and really relevant topic right now. But it's a little dicey waters in our culture. We're talking about men and women. Okay. And I will say, when I learned this, it was offensive a little bit, but it saved my marriage. It saved your marriage? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that this probably was the single most transformational thing that turned my marriage from... Um, Turned the dysfunctional areas of my marriage into into health. Okay. Yeah. This single study was probably the most transformational thing. Wait, so just tell me how that happened. Um, I read in a book. Now, this book is probably 200 pages. I mean, it's a standard you know book. And there were probably three pages in the appendix that outlined this study. And um, I read it and my jaw hit the floor. And... When I applied the principles that I learned from this study of the early chapters of Genesis, um, now they're hard to apply. They they grate against the flesh, and and the natural ways that we want to treat each other and protect ourselves. Really, is and what society tells you, and to what do. society tells you that men and women how they should treat each other, um, and and I would even say once your eyes are opened to this, uh, man, Hollywood stories will come into this sharp focus and it will scare you, Mm. scare you to death. Uh, And so I think not only how society tells you that men and women should treat each other in, in um, overt ways, but in the covert ways, just, just depictions that you see on screen and in your life and the things that you think are normal become Mm. very not normal in light of what the scripture says. Subtle worldview, ways of thinking, ways of looking at men and women and each other. And so in a very real way, I mean, I, I don't think this is overstating it, but I, I believe in this study we will unmask the devil and find his direct tactic to okay. undermine and wash away the core of our society that okay. God has implemented. I want to jump in to this study, but at the end, I want to break down how you actually applied it in your own marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess first off, we have to start with the first narrative of men and women, which is in Genesis, and more specifically, where the conflict started in yeah. Genesis 3. So, what does Genesis 3 mean, and how does it apply to us today? Yeah, we... So, we'll, we'll look at Genesis 3, and there's, there is some natural... To look at the wrong, you also have to look at the right. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness, sin, and righteousness, and judgment. The right, the wrong, and what happens when you, when you choose which one. So uh, we'll, look, we'll read from Genesis 3, and then we'll kind of compare and contrast. Um, 
So I'm going to start in Genesis 3, verse 16. So this is skipping the curse against the serpent. Eve has taken the fruit. She gave it to her husband. That's a very important part of that. Um, and now God is telling them uh, what will happen. So uh, this is often called the curse. Um, but if you'll notice very carefully in the language, uh, God never curses the people. He never says, you are cursed. He never says that. Um, what I believe is happening here is God is outlining for them and for us, if we will learn from it, the natural consequences of choosing sin. If we depart from God's design, God is outlining for you what will happen. Not, uh, He's not cursing you or consigning you to this fate. This is what mm -hmm. will happen if you depart from his design. And so we're in the midst of it today, surrounded by lots and lots of people who have decided to go against what he designed and step into take of the knowledge of good and evil take of that fruit to decide and determine what's wrong and right for ourselves we can that 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 lie from the serpent you can be like god mm -hmm. and i know that when my eyes were opened to what this was truly saying I mean, my eyes were big as saucers. And, and I feel like every time I share it, it's the same reaction. People go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So we'll start in Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay. So there are words that um, keep, that pop up in both of these, um, toil and sorrow. Mm. Um, so what, what we're describing is, and I, this is so relevant, uh, when men and women depart from God's design, um, there is nihilism and meaninglessness. Um, that's toil, where you, where you put in desperate effort and you get nowhere with it and um sorrow so depression so meaninglessness and depression is okay. what results when you walk away from god both of these are major dynamics in our world today in our society especially of this like pursuit of work and career that gets us right where we didn't want to be mm -hmm. in the first place it's like we hated the way we grew up and in the house and the white picket fence and all this stuff and the broken relationships within our families and our fathers who were uh, absent from the home, focused on this pursuit, and we end up right back there anyway. And then this like desperate depression that's on our society, the diving into screens, social media, yep. staying in bed, taking you know government aid checks and not doing anything. Yep. And these two things are very prevalent right now oh yeah 
And you have just painted a, a wonderful, broad painting. And so now we are going to take a microscope and and just look at the singular snapshots that okay. build that up. And and once we show you the color palette, maybe, so to speak, uh, man, it's just going to come into focus. You're going to okay. know what's going on. So where, where do we begin? So we'll, look, we'll just look at the woman first. That's where okay. God starts. Um, now... You can you can look into the study for yourself. Um, the Bible Project has a great has a great little video section on this. Um, when God says to the woman, "I will multiply your pain in childbearing; in pain you shall bring forth children," um, I don't know why, and and even you know, <laughs> some biblical scholars really can't explain to you why, but childbearing and bringing forth children, those words are not, um, to put it lightly, the child exiting the womb, like the, mm. the birth event, like that, that that will be hurt, that will physically hurt you. Um, those words are conception when the child is created in the womb, not when the child exits the womb. There is a proper word for that in Hebrew, and that's not it. Mm. Um, this is when the child is created in the womb. So the first okay, thing... Okay, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now you think about um, if you're younger, you know, and, and you're not familiar ne- necessarily with the struggles of adults and, and people who are married and trying to be pregnant. Um, but this this verse is talking about there will be depression and meaninglessness around the issue of infertility hmm. and struggles between men and women about whether or not to have children. And, and, a, and a wife's real deep desire to have and raise children, or at least the pushing off of the desire to have and raise children. All kinds of tensions swirling around wow. infertility, having kids, not having kids, putting off my career, putting off kids to have a career, wanting to have kids, but my husband doesn't, both of us wanting to have kids, but I can't conceive. All of those struggles will result in pain, depression, um, meaninglessness. That's what those two. Ver- that's what those two stanzas are saying. Fascinating. Can you can you explain that a little bit more, like on that? Yeah. In pain, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall conceive children. So, so it's all of the, all of the dynamics of all the confusion surrounding having yeah. kids. So let's um, you just track through Genesis. And you see Abraham and Sarah. She's infertile, and it has it's a huge point of pain in their marriage. Um, so much so that when she turns to Hagar, right, and that's a whole fiasco, and then Hagar has kids, and Sarah still doesn't, and that's a point of pain between the two of them, and then finally Sarah has a son, and, and there's, there's more tension. Like, mm. none of these solutions <laughs> provide, you know, provide an answer. Yeah. Every step provides more pain and more trouble and more mm. struggle and more tension in all of these relationships, all stemming from the fact of having kids. And then you go to the next generation and you have um, Isaac and Rebecca and Rebecca can't have kids. And that's just tension in their marriage. And when they do have kids and the, each of them picks favorites, that's a tension in their marriage. And then you go to the next one and it's the same with Leah and Rachel. There's a whole chapter in Genesis just about how they were fighting over each other. And, no, I'm going to get my husband tonight. No, I'm going to, I want a kid. And 
crying out to God and then, well, you take my slave and I'll have more kids. And then, no, you take my slave and I'll have more kids. All through Genesis is this thing. And you see this exact dynamic today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's easier to look kind of cold, maybe, or detached to the Bible stories. But when I think about the adult relationships in my life of married people who are at that stage of life to have kids, um, I don't think I know. It's a very small handful for whom that subject is is a happy one. Hmm. Most of them, that subject is kind of a touchy one. Even in Christian relationships. Yeah, yeah. Even Why is Christian that? Relationships. I don't have of kids. This, I don't understand. Because of this, <laughs> because of this, um, it's a tough point, whether it's infertility or whether it's my husband doesn't want to or whether it's my wife doesn't want to. Um, it's, a, it's a very small handful of people that I can think of for whom um, they haven't had any struggles. Or, or I, should say, I should even go on to say um, miscarriages and the pain that that brings and, and even disproportionate pain and the wife feels it more than the husband. The miscarriage one seems to be a really common problem. And that's really sad. It's devastating. I mean, people divorce over the pain of a miscarriage, you know? Wow. Um, And and then we could add abortion and not wanting a kid, or the husband wants the wife to get rid of the kid, and all of this. So you're saying this. this isn't God that is making this happen. This is God. This is the result of what a sinful world produces. Yes. Yeah, very important to bring it back around to that point that God is not cursing the woman. He is describing to men and women what will happen when you depart from my design. Even something like terminating a pregnancy. That's that's what happens. And just you go to that mental wild. space that my career, my life, my me 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 is more important than having a kid and loving another person and being fruitful and multiplying like God told me to. My mm. life is more important than doing what God told me to do mm. and being faithful to his design for human flourishing. And this is the dynamic we're talking about, getting that kind of seeming like a, a demonic trance of some sorts. Like this is the curse. This is a curse. This yes. is this is a, it's like a shark-eyed, like a blinders, this decision to kind of be your own God. Is that what we're looking at? What are we looking at exactly as we dive further into this? I'll maybe I'll say if we could outline very quickly the difference between blessing and cursing. Blessing means the life that God wants to give multiplying and reproducing. I mean, you could say reproduction in a biological sense, but even just reproducing in a more. What God wants to give you and more for uh Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Right. Life that he gives and that multiplying and reproducing everywhere. That's blessing. Cursing is when the life that God wants to give is shrinking and dying and withering. So so God can command that. He says, I'm going to take that from you. And when your life, the circle of your influence and your abundance begins to shrink and shrink and shrink, that's called God's curse. Mm. Um, so, and that's somewhat of a mercy because if that wasn't limited 
then we yeah if you had more you would destroy yeah, it yeah that's and like the dynamic of the cherubim at the front of the garden guarding exactly. the tree of life because it's like if they get a hold of the tree of life they're going to the dynamic is or the the narrative is they if they get a hold of this they're going to live forever and multiply darkness basically exactly. it's the flip it's like instead of multiplying life and goodness and subduing the earth with everything lovely that god wants it's subduing the earth with death destruction disunity yes. all of these things that bring damage and and uh, lifelessness exactly so god can command that he can say you're not going to have that i'm taking that from you command curse on you but even the way that the bible talks about it is when you are connected to god as you were intended to be when your life is is enmeshed with his and you're full of his holy spirit that is when blessing is produced because that's how life was supposed to be. You get to be fruitful and multiply to subdue the earth and rule over it with him. When you leave him and leave his design and go against the grain of the universe as he designed it, you will bring about curse on your own life. He does not have to command that curse on you. You will bring about the diminishing of life just because of the path you chose. And I think that that's what's being described here is when you go against the grain of what God has designed, you will bring about that diminishing of life on your own. And so all, all the pain and the meaninglessness and the sorrow um, happens because mankind is separated from God. Now, I don't want to say miscarriage and infertility are a result because you don't love God enough. But here, when mankind as a whole separated themselves from the life of God, now we are there. Um, but the Bible does say... Uh, the picture painted through these stories is that when people reach out to God and petition him, that he heals those hurts in them. Mm. Um, that's Hannah in um, for Samuel and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Re um, Leah and Rachel. All of them have that mm. story there. Um, so... So yeah, let's, let's dive a little deeper into this. Um, so that's all just the, the first two. That we can still talk about the curse on the woman. It says, um, your, your desire will be for him, but he shall rule over you. So if the first one was concern and sorrow and depression around childbearing, the other one is sorrow and concern about the power dynamics between a husband and a wife that um, ultimately is heaviest on the wife. That uh, what God is saying here is that women will want to be in charge over their husband, but the, the man is said to be the head, and that will be a cause of great concern for women. And you could say this in a positive or in a negative way. In a positive way, like you're married to a bad man, and that's really hard to be married to a bad man. And it's going to be hard to submit yourself, like the Bible says, to a bad man. And you're not going to want to. But so your desire will be, please, husband, be a good man, rule over me, or um, lead my family well. But he will be the ruler. And, and if you're in a tough marriage, it's going to be tough. Or it could be in a negative sense, like, I don't want to submit. I don't want to play my role as the... Um, the help me, the ally, the, the rescuer to this family. I want to be in charge. It's not good enough for me to be the help me and I want to be the head. Mm. And that will also be 
a cause of pain, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's um, with the best of intentions or the worst of intentions. Um, and the multiplied, um, well, we can talk later about how that plays out practically. So the woman's main pain point in life is relationships. And, and having a little sister, uh, watching my little sister in middle school, um, that was true. The main pain point in her life was relationships. Does my friend like me? Does the boy like me? Does my, you know, and, and, and now watching my older sisters, I mean, that's still, and, and just adult women, you know, in that I know is that's it is relationships is the main pain point in life. Now we're going to move to the curse on the man. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Out of it you were taken. You are dust. To dust you shall return. So if um, toil and sorrow, if the meaninglessness and depression in a woman's life is bound up in relationships, the meaninglessness and depression um, in a man's life is mainly bound up in work. I work, I'm striving desperately to provide for my family, to have some kind of meaning, to have purpose in my life, to, to go somewhere, to create something that's, that's beautiful and, and worth lasting and worth admiring, and everything I put my hand to fails. That is a great cause of concern, depression, and meaninglessness in men. And I think um, in different ages, there are different responses that some men get puffed up, and they flaunt their stuff. And I mean, I think one is sometimes stronger and you can always see both, but sometimes it's stronger in one age or another. But I think there's a whole bunch of men um, in our age now that are just dropping out. Yeah. Either you flaunt it and make it a point of pride. And that's the red pill community. Yep. Or you drop out. Yeah. And you, and you waste your life. In, in your parents and you never try to go do those things and it because it is a great source of pain depression sorrow meaninglessness it's like I'm gonna fail I can't get over that failure I might as well just take find a easy. way out yeah take it easy don't try and at least and, I can comfort myself in in the meantime yeah oh yeah you know, instead of mm-hmm. yeah um and either one is bad. Both of them are bad. Yeah. They are not the what God intended for man is be fruitful and multiply. Create something that grows, um, that generates profit. You put in this effort and it yields more to you than what you put in. That's called profit. Yeah. Well, and it seems like the role of a woman and the role of a man and these results, the way that they lean to one of the extremes or the other is due to the interaction with each other and the lies that each one believes that brings out those in the other ones. Like Mm -hmm. you have the red pill community of men who see women as objects and a yeah at the extreme for a way to get what they want. And that makes women feel like objects, which means they either want to press into, you know, liberating themselves and being like men themselves and then on the other hand, that natural tendency to be liberated and say, I don't need a man leaves tons of men 
yes lonely in their basement not even trying to go out because they don't see that as a possibility for their lives and you can so exactly what you're describing is when when you are cursed when you do not have the mindset of god to live as he has designed men and women are always pulling against each other exactly that i i want to be loved and cherished by a man to be taken care of that's what the woman that's the design of the woman to be loved to be cherished and to and to give to contribute meaningfully into a relationship um, to be heard to be valued um, and when a man does not feel respected or valued and their work you know i want to get that from a woman and then when the woman does not feel valued and cherished, they feel like an object, they want to get that from a man. And you're pulling at each other and not loving each other and coming together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the more you pull, the more the other side pulls back. And you get the Andrew Tates of the world and you get the incel community from the way that women yank on men. And then you get, you know, hardcore feminism and you get cra- you get crazy stuff on the other side. Like you know, like a seductress or a feminist, you know, and they're just yanking, yanking, yanking. But that's so wild to think about that the major, some of the major problems in our world stem at the root of the disunity between the purposes of men and women coming together to walk out as one. It makes me think of like the, the requirements for eldership in the church being a man who is married, right? Like, yes. You cannot be an elder if you don't have your saving ally with yeah. you, which I, maybe this is a good time to no, yeah, hop that's, into that. The, um, in Genesis 1, it says, uh, God created mankind. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. them. So the image of God is not male and it's not female. It is in the unity and there's, um, in Genesis 2, it says God made man, and then it says uh, he took of his rib. But really that just means side. Mm-hmm. So the, the image is not just like one bone. Yeah. The image actually is um, I cut man in half and created out of the one two. I took, I took two halves and made full people out of both halves. And so literally you are my other half. I think I think that phrase that we have preserves the meaning of the text. Yeah, is that it's not just you are a part of me, but that you are my other half, and only in both coming together, God separates to create diversity. But in the diversity, He wants unity, and only in the unity is there the wholeness again. Men and women have to work together. If they separate or they try to get out of each other a need, um, you will always. You'll always lose, and you'll end up yeah. in the curse. And you go have to in, give to each other. And it says, I will create a helpmate for you. Can you go into what that actually means? Because sometimes when we hear helpmate, we just think of 1960s wife, yeah. oh, which yeah. isn't necessarily a wrong thing, you know? But the way the that we're like, oh, that's misogynistic or whatever, that's not what the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about a 1960s wife. What is the Bible talking about when it says I've created a helper for you? So go go to your Bible study tool. I, I love Blue Letter Bible. Click on that word helper and read all the other uses. And you will find that the vast majority of other uses, that word is described 
is what God is described as. A man is in trouble and God comes as the helper. And, and in all these other, it's like rescuer, salvation, you're my savior. I was in a troubled spot that I could not get out of on my own. And so God had to do for me what I could not do alone. And God sees, so this is the picture, that God sees man in a helpless state alone. And oh man, it is not good that he is alone. He needs someone to, um, <laughs> in a sense, save, save him. him. <laughs> yeah, really, rescue him from loneliness. And, and no one else in the, no other animal in the animal kingdom can do it. A woman has to do it to, to rescue man from his loneliness and rescue him from what he would do on his own. Yeah. And so he separates man and gives him the gift of the feminine, of, of woman. And um, so the role that God has given to women really is to be the rescuer of a man alone. And the role that man has given to woman to a woman, the gift is of leadership. And this is the controversial part. But I really do believe in my own marriage that my wife craves leadership. She wants she wants my leadership. And I crave her input. I am we are codependent on each other. Um, and I know that without my wife, my life would tank. Yeah. Not just like, oh, if she didn't cook my dinner, but like if I did not have her wisdom. Um, her tactfulness, her practicality, her discernment, my life would be in big trouble. She seriously has has rescued me from so much trouble having her there because that's how God designed the unity for us to be together and not apart yeah, and not and, at odds. And that would make sense why that's a requirement for a man that steps into the role of a pastor or an elder is that they are married because mm-hmm. they are not ready they are unprepared for that kind of role, for that kind of servant role in a church body if they don't have their saving ally with them. Yes. Which is a crazy flip of what society tells you is valuable and not valuable. And what's wild about that is in the midst of trying to society or the world or whatever you want to call it, the demonic lies that we often believe it's this lie that whispers in women's ears that say, you're not valuable. You're yeah. not valuable. You're not valuable. And here's a solution. Give up what God designed for your womanhood and become like the man that rules over you. Your desire will be for him. But all that yeah. really is doing is saying you're not valuable. It's agreeing with that lie that you're not valuable. Yeah. What God has designed for you is not good. It's not good enough and it's not good. You should be the the thing that God did not make you to be. And that's so crafty because it turns out that that's exactly the thing that saves humanity. Yeah. Is yeah. you not believing that lie that you're not valuable and stepping into that role as saving ally or rescuer. Yeah. Exactly. There so Genesis 3:15 one right before, um, I will put enmity, this is talking to the snake still, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And I, I think that's very well known. Oh, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. That's very well known because it's talking about... Um, the proto-evangelion. Yeah, it's talking about Jesus, <laughs> um, your offspring and her offspring, and now we're we're looking forward to Jesus. That's but a I, very macro view of definitely what it's telling us. But I remember... Um, just, I mean, a couple of readings through the Bible ago, I clued in 
I will put enmity between you and the woman. There is a special demonic attack on femininity and womanhood. I really believe that. And I think it is because when women do not play their role as the delivering ally, as the, as the rescuer of mankind, everything else collapses. Everything else collapses. And the lie is always your womanhood is not special. Your it, womanhood is not valuable. You should be a man. The deep irony of um, the 1960s sexual revolution is don't value your womanhood. Be more like men. Don't, don't stay at home. Don't value your womanhood, the role of the women as society has labeled it. You should of go out. Of upholding the family unit. You should go out and be more like a man. It's, not the, it's, it's never the, the end of it. it. The ironic destruction is that the end of it is never the liberation of womanhood. It's the destruction of womanhood. Go be a man. Everyone should be a man. Well, what's wild about that whole narrative is the the thought of the seductive serpent that is saying, hey, look at what you could have. And it's in opposition of what God already said. Exactly. So it's like, hey, this isn't good for you. Don't take of this tree. And the serpent goes, hey, did he really? Did he really say this? Did he really say you shouldn't do this, act like this, yeah. think like this, whatever? And, isn't, and, he and says, isn't God holding you back? Isn't he oh, what God, what God said isn't good. He's holding you back from something great. The role that God gave for you is not good. He's holding you back from something great. And I think, and we've been holding on to the, the womanhood thing, but I think yeah. the same thing for manhood. You don't need a lead. Just let somebody else do it. Sit back, play your video games. It's not that big of a deal. You know what? Responsibility, hard work, going out and, you know, making something of your life, trying to work for a profit— that's that's not worth it. Leave that to somebody else. You just do whatever you want. That's not the good life. Or let your wife be the leader. Like let your she wife wants be to the do leader. it anyway. Yeah, you can stay home. You know, it's not it's not you know that important that you go work. She can work and you can take care of the kids. We might get some hateful comments for this one, <laughs> but that's the point, right? It's worth it. That's the spirit that's coming against it. You it's know, worth it. Yeah. Um, the lie is always God's design is not good enough. You probably know better. And then uh, to to the other point of the man, it's like, ah, I don't need a wife. Yeah. I can be tech billionaire. I can go and achieve what I want. I can have as many women as I want. I can use women. I don't need them. Yeah. And think about Solomon. Yeah. Debatably the richest man that's ever existed. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Was the there's most a, depressed man. There's a line. Dude, that is so <laughs> true. That is so true. Um, I, you, this crazy when we unpack these narratives how you see it weaved in everything on both dynamics in society today and that's like the point of the the biblical narratives and how that's the truest form of truth that we have is you just you can see it in every different category it it transcends the the scientific categories or the boxes that we try to put knowledge in and says that this is base reality this is base truth this is the word of god this is living and active this is truer than true it's true no matter what is true no matter way the ways you spend it if, spin it if you want to ignore it it's true no matter what it is and so, baked into the very and the it will very set, good creation and it will god set made. you free mm -hmm. and if you come to the knowledge that the spirit your conscience god is always trying to show us and the humility that comes with it, 
when you step into that, you're set free. And you begin to see and begin to know how to build, like you said, with your own marriage on a firm foundation, on the foundation of truth, on the foundation of flourishment and life giving. You're stepping away from the desires of your flesh and you're walking in the desires of the spirit and you're liberated because of it, truly liberated and truly a force for life. Okay. We did big. Okay. We started, we started zooming through the Bible. Let's ground it back in the practical truths about men and women that saved my marriage. Okay. So from Genesis three, um, men who God designed to be the, the leader of the home, they flourish in that role. Women who are designed to be the, the ally, the, the rescuer of the home, flourish in that role. And anytime you um, deny those roles, there will be pain and curse, like we talked about. And the devil's greatest tactic is to try to flip those roles and erase manhood and womanhood altogether as they exist in the um, unified distinction distinct but unified that just becomes, like the trinity is that becomes the image of god that becomes yes anytime you erase man or woman and and best both um the whole thing will fall apart and you won't even have categories to return to i'm speaking about transgenderism now but mm. okay um so men as the leaders of the home want what they want most is respect and to find meaning in in their work and in their provision and in their leadership. Women, um, as the helpers of the home, want to be cherished, want to be heard, and want to be invited and um, part of that codependent thing. So the devil's tactic, and this is where my eyes were opened, the devil's tactic is always to get you, I mean, basically to do the opposite. I mean, that sounds really simple, but to do the opposite of that, so, when you begin to flip those roles on top of each other, this is what it looks like. For women, against the man is exactly what the curse said. Your desire is for him. He will rule over you. So, the lie, um, the tactic of the devil, is to belittle your husband's leadership and grab control. Now, you can do that. So, both of these, you can do that actively or passively. In an active sense, it looks like nagging, it looks like belittling, it looks like um, shaming, it looks like guilt tripping, it looks like every sing all tactics to squash your man's leadership, pull the rug out from under him, make him feel small, and seize that decision-making control in the home for yourself. You put on the pants and you, metaphorically, pants your husband and shame him. Um, <laughs> I never quite put it that That's way. That's a but good way to put it. That's hilarious. It's <laughs> a funny way to put it. Um, um, so that would be the, the active way. The passive way would be all forms of passive aggression, um, withholding sex from your husband, um, being cold, being distant, anything that says, if you don't listen to me, I will blank. Hmm. Um, very all, transactional. Very transactional. Yes. Not giving, not generous, not charitable. Charity, agape. Mm. Uh, it is it is taking and withholding and forcing. Um, so for men, it is the opposite. 
Uh, so the women is is no longer serve, no longer love, no longer respect, but take control. For men, it is it is the opposite. It is um, abdicate leadership, um, become childish, and uh, or seize that control. So it's force respect, force control, or abdicate that control. And for, so it's all top. So would that be like disconnecting? So in, in the same exact way, it can be active or it can be passive. In an active way, it looks like yelling. It looks like screaming. It looks like stomping. It looks like threatening. It looks like um, sulking. It looks like, do you know what I mean? Everything yeah. that says like, I need my control. But the, the deep irony is every time you give in to that thing, you are spinning the wheel. Mm. So when the man... Um, abdicates that responsibility or screams and yells and whatever you look like a child you are throw you are literally i mean i throwing have i have a one and a half year old son you are literally throwing a temper tantrum and you are you are reinforcing the, the topsy-turvy mm. and the same way for the woman when you grab control and do not let your husband grow up be a man and make decisions for the family you are turning him away and making him feel less valuable so every time you lean into this pattern, you are turning it upside down and you are always spinning the wheel. You, and, and this is the conversation that my wife and I had to have. Um, when she feels like she has to take control, I feel like, well, you know, I'll just listen to the voice of my wife. She wants, she wants to decide. And, and so it's a both and terrible situation the woman has to let the husband lead and the husband has to choose to lead. Cause that same dynamic is in Genesis when Eve takes of the fruit, right? Is that it seems like Adam was right next to her mm -hmm. and where was just, Adam? Yeah. Just let it happen. Just let, and, and God's curse is he starts the whole thing off with Adam. He says, because you listened to the voice of your wife and it's the same exact thing with Abraham and Sarah. He says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, Sarah is the one who has the idea, we should use Hagar to have this child. And Abraham was the one who had the promise from God and did not speak up. That's he said, a really, yeah, sounds like a good a idea. That's really an interesting phrase, though, because to some people that would sound very misogynistic, and I think that's playing right into this whole yeah. dynamic, right? I mean, this is the word of God, so we know God is good, moral, and just. That phrase, because you listened to the voice of your wife, it's like, that's a hard one to be like, oh man, like listening to the voice of your wife. Tell me, does that mean just not listening to your wife at all? Or what does that mean? It's the, the, yeah. the seductive voice, the voice that agrees with death, the voice that agrees with the lie of the serpent. You have to immerse yourself in the context of those stories. And in the context of those stories, it is the man who has the promise of God and the word of God and is called to lead on that promise and mm. lead on that word, and they abdicate that responsibility. They do not lead. They have God's promise. They have God's word, and they do not use it. They do not wield it like the sword of the Spirit to crush the head of the serpent. So it's not necessarily That is the like lie of the serpent that comes up. It's not necessarily like listening and hearing her out. It's like listening. Like yes. Like a disconnected, exactly. like, okay, I'll listen to you. Yes, and so... Um, that would be the passive sense in which the husband abdicates his role. In the passive sense, he says, I'm just going to go work. I'm just going to go out with the boys. I'm just going to sit here and watch TV. I will tune out my family life and let my wife take it all. 
That So in that passive sense of abdicating responsibility, I will check out from the picture. You will not see dad anymore. And wife has to run the family. And you can see that the terrible tension that, it, that both become topsy-turvy is husband advocate abdicates. Wife feels like she has to take responsibility. Well, wife's got it. I'll abdicate some more. Well, my husband's not around. I have to take control. And every and time that becomes you lean the spirit in, of the household, it becomes the Babylonian spirit of the household. Which, and the household is the core of all society. Yep. This man and if woman. If you mess that up, you've you you destroy society. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is where um, one of the one of the um, one of the most highlighted places that I saw this recently was in Wandavision. I know that was a long. I know that was a long, long time ago. ago. Yeah, but. Um, she literally generates her husband. Did we talk about that on our first podcast? We did. <laughs> she literally generates her show. husband out of herself. And then she seizes her children, two boys, two young sons, mm. and maintains control over them. And literally becomes a murderous killer to hold her family together, but in this ugly Babylonian way where she is the head of the household, not her husband that she controls all the men in her family, literally controls all the men in her family. And that's, that's the story. So now we're getting somewhere. This is, this is diving off the deep end a little bit right here with WandaVision, but it's a real view of where the ultimate, that is the ultimate ultimate end of the topsy turvy world is there. There in, and remember in this movie, there literally is no husband. She has made him up, generated him from herself and her sons as well. And all the men in her family are derivative of her leadership and power. That's, so, that like, is the full... Okay, so I... So should, you're saying a demonically empowered witch, basically. We'll get there. I, I want to turn, turn it <laughs> right side up. I want to turn it right side up before we get there. Yeah. The Bible says, and here's Ephesians, back-to-back verses, okay? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. The right side up way to do this, and as painful as it may be for a wife to say, I trust you, please lead our family. Even if he's already spinning off the edge into this topsy-turvy world, the, the right way up is not to lean into the topsy-turvydom, but is to, and you can't guilt trip him back. You can't nag him back into leadership. You can't, Um, manipulate him back into leadership you can't force or control him back into leadership you have to submit when you take your role as god intended that's the only way to right the ship you can't lean into it you have to go back and the same way for the men if you if you want respect if you want you know what i mean if you want the right way up you have to begin to lead as as bad as you may feel about it as ill-equipped as you may feel about it as cold and distant as your wife may be you have to love her cherish her listen to her and lead and the all that's it's this deep irony because it's it's all a positive feedback loop and a negative feedback loop and the only way to to right side up is to begin to just do what god said when you live in the design of god for men and women's relationships the whole thing turns right back up and i and so the whole thing is when I was opened to um, exactly how I was doing that, you know, the temper tantrums and the abdication and the, the whole thing that was turning it topsy-turvy, 
I had to positively bring it right right side up. And I watched my whole family flip right right side up and as I was clued into the tactics that I was using that leaned into those lies. And if I remember correct, video games was kind of part the of that whole for you. part of that. And video that's something a whole you used as a escape from that responsibility? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and I'll even say down to, um, you know, my wife's a better driver. I'll let her drive. Oh, I mean, wow. like, like <laughs> in, in a conscious way, wow. it got down to that kind of minutia. My wife is a, is a better driver and like three hour car trips and just like, oh, I'll make her drive. She's a better driver anyway. I'll just sit here and be on my phone. And I remember she had to tell me, she said like, I don't like that. I want you to lead. I want you to bear the burden of this responsibility of taking our family from A to B. I don't want to do that. I like, I want to be the woman in the passenger seat being taken care of. And I had to, okay, I'm, she is literally a better driver than me. And the world goes, no, don't say that. But that's, you don't want that. Exactly. You don't want to be taken care of. And, but that's, you're the, capable. That's the topsy turvy. And, but she, like, she wanted the ship right side up. And I had to agree, okay, I'm going to step right side up into the world that God intended and take responsibility, even in like this seemingly meaningless minutia of who gets to drive the car. But truly, like, that's, Spiritual warfare. It was spiritual warfare to turn our ship right side up and do things as God intended. Positive spiritual warfare. Yes. Like that's taking the fight to the enemy. Yes. And saying, no, the The gates of hell cannot prevail. The enemy's lies are not going to run our household. Yeah. God's ways are going to run our household. And she is going to be valued and cherished. And I'm going to take responsibility and lead. And I'm going to suffer for my leadership like as, as it is supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, okay, you ready? Yes. Now we're going off the deep, deep end. <laughs> first, first, let me ask this. Okay. Why do you think so many, even relationships in the church, end up this way? What's the temptation? What causes it to be this way? Why... Why is it so hard to escape from it? Why is it so hard? Okay, my real question is, why is it so hard for us to not, uh, why is it so hard for us to take those scriptures at face value and just see it for what it is? Why do we always want to reinterpret those things? Um, I have two answers. The simplest answer is, we think we are wiser than God. I it's mean, the that's, curse. It's that's the, it's the, it's the, the same old, the world, the, same thing. the flesh, the devil. Does that make sense? So the flesh says, I, I want power. I don't want responsibility. The world says female empowerment, men get out of the way, toxic masculinity. And the, and the devil's lies are just egging all of them on the lie that you can make decisions apart from God. Yep, and God's way is not the best way. You, you're probably right. God's probably wrong. And then, so that's just one, is because we think we're wiser than God. And part two, and this is my personal soapbox just for right now, <laughs> is that um, much of the Christian world does not want discipleship. They want salvation. They want to be saved from trouble. They do not want to learn from God. They do not want their their relationships and their lives to be right side up God's way in so many different areas in, you know, 
um, they kind of want to be left alone. Yeah. Let me, you give me salvation and that's as much as I want from you. I do not want to come under your, um, discipleship. I don't need to change. No, I don't need. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that would be what most people would consider. And I feel like that's the gospel being preached is Jesus doesn't really care about you changing. He loves you. Or, um, which is a part of it. What God he loves you. So he wants you to change. Exactly. He wants you to become, he wants to give you the gift of become, uh, coming in alignment with his design because he knows goodness emerges from it. God, I think the gospel message would be, you know, there are obviously some that say God loves you. So you don't have to change. But I think that the drumbeat, mm. God loves you, so you won't go to hell. God loves you, so you'll be forgiven at the pearly gates. God loves you so that when you die, something will take effect. Not God loves you, so he's going to turn your world right side up today. You can leave this church service. You can leave this room. You can leave this small group different. Right side up, God's way, by learning from Jesus, by learning from God's design. Well, I think even more than that, the drumbeat, these days, and I think that's one drumbeat, but the drumbeat is this. Jesus loves you so you don't have to feel bad about how broken your life is. Yeah. It's continuing your brokenness, but you don't have to feel bad. You're going to add a soapbox to my soapbox, <laughs> so we got to stop now. Okay. You ready? You ready yeah, to go yeah. even deeper? Yeah. Genesis, we'll turn the page. So we're going to the ultimate conclusion of this scenario, which is the oh, demonically no, not, not empowered not witch yet. woman. Not yet. Not yet. But that is just so apparent. It's like the imagery of the the uh, the spiritist fortune teller lady and then the witch. Why is there more? You know, it we seems will like get there. We will get more there. We got, we got one more step to go. <laughs> we got one more step. We'll just turn the page. One page. Okay. To Genesis chapter four. Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten or uh, acquired a man with the help of the Lord. Ooh. Um, okay, I just want to point out one thing. Yeah. Okay. We Before we were on air, we were talking about Eastern Islamic culture. Mm-hmm. One of those things is I can't, I my husband doesn't love me. So I must attach myself to my son. And you see these, am I too, am I going to? No, too? that's exactly where we're going. Okay. Where you, you see, you see the women in Islamic society because they are battered and abused, attaching themselves to their son and not wanting them to leave the house because that's the only loving man relationship that they have. That is exactly where we're going. Okay. I have acquired a man. So when you turn, so we, we just did husbands and wives, but when that relationship is fully topsy-turvy, really the way that the wife treats her husband is like a little boy in her house. That I control you, you do what I say, and the natural relationship, it, that kind of relationship between a man and a woman is is mother to son. And so the husband becomes a child with no agency in his own home. And when a woman gives birth to her son, he becomes the, same, the ruler of the household. It is this, well, yeah. Oh, bro. <laughs> it is the same kind of relationship is this is my little prince. He is the ruler of the household. My entire life revolves around my son, but also I will keep a firm finger on his life 
and he will never grow up. He never gets to be the man of a different household. He has to be my son all his life. He never gets to grow up. And what happens when he tries to leave? Same, the same tactics of guilt tripping, of manipulation, of passive aggression, of nagging. You know what I mean? Hmm. This is, this is the mother-in-law, the, the terrible mother-in-law of, of, you know, fiction, but (laughs) when real life is just as strange as fiction, you know, this is, that's, that's her. That's where Hmm. it comes from is from a topsy turvy life of control over men. It's control over, it starts with control over her own husband and then it becomes control over her son. I also think of like child stars, mm-hmm. you know, and you always hear the stories. Once they grow up, they tell the stories about their moms that put them into acting and was benefiting from their acting and and just the horrible dynamic. Like I think of uh, the two actors, Dylan and Cole Sprouse from Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I was watching an interview with uh, Cole Sprouse where he explained, he was like, yeah, halfway through the show, we, the custody was given to our dad because of how destructive our mom's tendencies were. So there you go. So that is, and they're like the, you know, so it's, so it's just when it's not just men and women, but when this becomes a family, this ripple effect of a topsy turvy life, um, spills out into the whole family. And so instead of a strong dad teaching a son how to become a man and teaching a, teaching a daughter how to respect the men in her life, it becomes the opposite. The mom keeps her husband a little boy so that even if she ever gives him away, he stays a little boy to his wife and she teaches the daughter how to manipulate, nag, and guilt trip all the men in her life. And so every a topsy-turvy generation teaches the next generation how to be just as topsy-turvy. And you are stuck upside down and so at that point and at that point you don't even start like this and it goes there you're starting here you are starting upside down it's an uphill battle yep and and so a a destructive controlling mother will turn men into little boys and never allow them to grow up whether that means um never going far from home never um answering god's call to their life um or just staying at home and and playing video games and being doted on and taken care of like a little boy well into their 20s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whichever, whichever way, if it's, if it's active or it's passive. Or the same, yeah, exa- exactly the same thing. Putting your son up on a, on a pedestal and, and being the agent of his fame or power or life or whatever. Whether it's a messiah complex or political aspirations. Dude, this is Dune. Mm. This is the mother who teaches her son how to have power she takes dude i don't know if you are familiar with this are you familiar with this uh i haven't seen the movie but we've talked about it this is a whole she comes from a um uh religion of women of women empowerment who can um control the gender of the child and she gives birth to a son instead of a daughter that's the whole central conflict and she gives birth to the messiah and she teaches him the power that her female religion has and she becomes like his covering the whole movie and the whole book i should say the the movie's about to come out but so it's the same so can we talk about this in how it relates to babylon of old so this is a this is a story this is not from the bible but it is um apparently the way that 
people used to read the Bible. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a legend that, that sprung up around the Bible, but it is the, the typical understanding. And you can see its seeds throughout um, history. Um, so it revolves around Nimrod. So his Nimrod being who? Nimrod is from Genesis chapter 10. He is the original uh, Antichrist, you could say. He is the founder of Assyria and Babylon. He is the, he is the first bad, bad guy. Um, and what does Nimrod stand for? He's he's the mighty hunter, right? Yeah. That's his that's name, the idea, right? His name means rebel. Hmm. So he is the ult- he is the original ultimate empire bad guy. He was Nebuchadnezzar before Nebuchadnezzar was cool. He was he is the arch typical bad guy. He is the opposite of everything lovely and good in the world. Yeah, and he wants to destroy it and control it. The story around him is that his mom. Um, was this kind of a woman that we're talking about. And um, she had a Jezebel. Jezebel would be another great example of this. She had a Jezebel-type relationship with her husband, and she cheated on him and slept with other guys in the court. And um, her husband died while she was sleeping with these guys. Well, not like while, you know, but yeah. um, her husband was dead, and she's pregnant. Yeah. And she goes, "Uh uh-oh. I'm in big trouble. Right. So she takes a huge gamble, and this is what she tells everyone. She says, my husband, his spirit came to me and impregnated me, and not only am I pregnant with his son, but I am pregnant with his reincarnation. And so it's a big gamble because, I mean, as crazy as that story sounds, if she gives birth to a son, it's plausible. And she won't be put to death. And she won't be put to get to death if, if people buy it. Um, if she gives birth to a daughter, you know, the gig is up. But if she can give birth, if she gives birth to a son, it's a gamble. Um, and sure enough, she gives birth to a son. And so you can see this. Here's how the story goes. The son is the king. Her husband. Her husband. But also her son. And so she is the queen mother in both respects to a belittled husband, but also literally to her son. So she maintains full control over the court, and her son is this cherished, adored figure who will always remain the little boy in her shadow. And that little boy is Nimrod. Because the he can count all his success to the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother is who... So, yeah, this freakish, doting control of the mother over the son, and she raises him up both as the surrogate it's freaky but it's the surrogate husband it's the oedipus thing i mean this is replayed in fiction after fiction after fiction after fiction right yeah this is the madonna and child this is the the origin of the mother and child the the glorious messiah child give but the adoration and glory goes to the mother with and you know what and I mean? she's happy to take it and she is happy to take it jesus cannot be um, his own man, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has to be a diminished, agentless infant in the arms of his mother. That's it. That's the Madonna and Child. Mary worship. Yes. I I really believe that this spirit is the origin of that, of Mariology and Mary, Mariolatry, all of the Mary worship, is the this Babylonian topsy-turvy spirit of the mother getting glory for her messianic ruling son. And the son is not allowed to rule. He must always be the helpless, agentless infant in his mother's arms. And this seems like it's one of the enemy's tactic to delegitimize Jesus being 
God exactly. and Messiah. Exactly. Exactly. He must always be the son. So this could be your own life. Well, also like, oh, this has been a this has been a myth concept that's been ancient predating Christianity, right? Like you it hear is that a myth concept yeah. that is ancient, but, but it's, it's demonic. <laughs> yeah, it's demonic and and copying. It is perverting, perverting the idea of the virgin birth to Mary, because Mary fits right into the story of of the blessing. She is um, a second Hannah, a second Eve. Do you know what I mean? Who who does give birth to the saving Messiah, but she is supposed to step out of the way and let her son become a man. That's how the story is supposed to go. And you read the Gospels plainly, without the art, without the church's commentary. You read the Gospels plainly, and that is how the story goes. Mary, more often, after the first couple chapters of Matthew, after the first couple chapters of Luke, gets in Jesus' way more than helps him. She is in the way for the rest of the story until Acts. You know what I mean? Who is my father and mother? Yeah, who yeah. is? She she says she knocks on the door and says, "Jesus, you have to stop. You're going crazy." And he dismisses her. Who is my father and mother? Anyone who does the will of God. She is in the way, keeping him from answering his father's call in his life. That's the story yeah. of the Gospels. W- woman, what what does this have to do with me? She is. That is a certain way to paint the picture of John chapter two. But she is nagging Jesus trying to manipulate him to fix the wedding. And he says, what does this have to do with me? He says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for my father's calling. He separates himself from that Mariolatry picture of his own mother. My father, who's the head of the church. Go ahead. I just think of that idea. It's like, yes. When Paul says like, you know, wives submit to your husbands as they submit to God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is showing us how he submits to God. Mm-hmm. This rightful position. And it is not uncaring towards his mother. Yeah. I mean, of the seven last words that he uses, you're hanging on a cross, your shoulders dislocated, your diaphragm up into your rib cage, immense pain to take a single breath, let alone to speak. And he uses those seven phrases, one of them to take care of his mom and give her a new son. You know, like he was not uncaring towards his mother, but he was not going to let that topsy-turvy demonic idea cancel his mission. Yeah. He was going to be faithful to his father's mission, no matter what his mom said. In this little three-page thing that I read, um, he just leaves it as a line, but it says, the end of feminine control over the masculine takes three main forms um, feminism lesbianism and witchcraft and i think that um, you could say that it is uh, biological rejecting the biological bond between men and women philosophical rejecting the philosophical ideological bond between men and women and spiritual Seizing control in all three of those areas, biological, ideological, and spiritual. And each one of those represents a different form. And and I, since I have opened my eyes to this, I have recognized how many stories of lesbianism does not just have to do with, I was attracted to women, but it started first as a rejection of men. I do not want to be in a relationship with a man. And I am drawn to an empowered relationship between two women 
and often are hateful towards men and often are hateful towards men because there was some broken relationship often with a father yep probably that topsy-turvy relationship father is distant out of the picture not loving not caring not leading the home like he should giving a young girl an ugly ugly picture of what manhood is supposed to be and i do not want men in my life or the opposite a controlling domineering temper tantrum take 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 from women kind of man and she got something taken from her and therefore rejects men entirely and seeks that kind of comfort in another woman and respected her mother the mother being the domineering mother respecting taking a masculine role learns to find comfort security control power women yeah and then you have another dynamic so maybe that's like the yeah i'm not i'm not trying to psychoanalyze anybody (laughs) but i will say for those who are i i have noticed for those who are self-aware enough uh that seems to be a common thread I don't want to psychoanalyze any specific case. Yeah. But I have noticed a common thread. Um, and the same with feminism. Um, the not just female empowerment, like suffragette kind of thing, but an outright but female, hatred of men. Well, female totalitarianism. Who runs the world? Yeah. Girls. As Beyonce fam- famously said. Who runs the Okay, the... The, and then the deep, spiritual one. The deep, terrible irony um, is when men and women go topsy turvy, both end up erased. The sexual revolution did not teach women, it promised female empowerment, but who did it really benefit? It actually put women in bondage to um, sexual exploitation by men, um, to not be cared for. Men no longer have to take care of homes and take care of women. Um, or take care of kids. Or take care of kids. It's have free sex as much as you want, and if that results in a child, guess who pays the bills? Yeah. The single mom. And then you do so. Yeah, and then and then the man leaves. And so and, and the governmental favor. And this is the topsy turvy thing is men are more free to be impotent, lazy animalistic animalistic and not take responsibility and women are more bound in this terrible um juggling of trying to control all of life you know instead of being unified and saying that there's a helper and a leader uh it's all upside down and the sexual revolution did that and feminism did that and um who has to pay the bill on a date you know what i mean well you know she's got a job and she could pay for it just as well as i can the whole the whole thing is that when you tell women that being a helper is not um valuable position actually you do not empower womanhood the end of it always 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 is to erase it to erase womanhood you tell women that womanhood is not valuable so you must be a man and then you tell men being being male is not special let women take it does that make sense yeah and you can see um women graduating from university at higher rates than men and men just dropping out and you can see you know so how does this i'm just gonna go right there how does this dynamic between men and women and this pattern and this uh unequal scales let's say or or this flipping how does this flipping of the role of the 
the masculine and the feminine dynamic, the, the man and the woman lead to witchcraft? Oh, power. Hmm. When you seek power, I mean, you can seek power over your own biology. You can seek power over men in ideology and in lawfare, um, or you can seek it in the spiritual world. And, and it is notable that, um, you know, just the idea of, of the coven, that it's, that it's witches, it's women. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, I don't, I don't want to overplay that, you know, because it's not totally fair, but there is a, it's not nothing. It's not everything, but it's not nothing. And, and it seems like once you've, you know, circumvented God's design in that, in the other areas, Oh yeah, there's no reason God's design in in the spiritual world. Yeah, there's no reason not to go there, and you see it kind of in today's culture associated with and yeah, it's I mean cities like Austin. Yeah, oh yeah, how how much I should say the deterioration of the roles of maleness and femaleness of men and women and the distinction between them and how that has crumbled and how. the demonic lie. I should not say feminism is the problem or that yeah, whatever, because it's, it's the whole topsy-turvy. I, you can blame the men just as much as the women. The right. entirety of the topsy-turvy demonic lie. Um, and part of that shift has resulted now in, in, in a rise of witchcraft across the country. So is it safe to say Terrifying. that the, the main predicament and problem that we're in, besides the problem of sin and selfishness and all this, is not operating as the image of God? being a man and a woman walking in unity in their respective roles and coming together as one flesh in a marriage, leading households, leading society into filling the earth with life, love, joy. I personally think there is no possible way to turn our country around through laws, even through social programs. The only way to turn our country around is to get men and women to love each other and to raise their kids um, to fear God with respect and integrity. And the only way to do that is to get people right side up God's way. And right side up in the church because... <laughs> and right side up in the church. The only, the only way to turn our country around is to get this core, to get the demon of this whole thing cast out, of this topsy-turvy world cast out, and to kill the snake in the garden get people saved and turn their lives right side up and you will save them you will save the man and the woman and the kids and that's the only way i genuinely believe that but there's a whole for demonic force coming against that oh yeah when you touch that you touch i, I An really believe you touch the ampile and you touch i think at the heart of the final push of the enemy to to push our country over the edge i think it's into I, the end game this yeah this may <laughs> this may be you know I don't want it to be dramatic, but I really do believe it is the end game. Yeah. And you can see that in cultures across the world, that this is the final play. And at the end of this, um, it's over. God brings judgment. I mean, I mean, it has played out in history like this again and again. It's coming to a culmination. Yeah, I don't want that to be doomsday, and I don't want it to be stupid. Well, it should be sobering. It should be sobering, I, and, I, and, I, and I do mean it honestly. Yeah, and that you know doesn't I mean? mean that you're hopeless to walk in truth in your own marriage, in your own life, and 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 raise your kids. No, in, in a way that's yeah powerful and effective. I mean, if the for world the is ter- topsy turvy, you might as well 
you might as well <laughs> try. Yeah. You know, don't don't go along with the world. Yeah. Any other, you have any other comments or questions? I, th- I just think this one's more important than ever to pray for. Yeah, man. Lord, our country, our marriages, our families need desperately need your help. And Holy Spirit, Lord, more than ever, we need discipleship. We need to see clearly your design to love it and, and embrace it and practice it. Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us? Would you help us to to love, to cherish the way that you intended our world to be and to practice it by the help of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, thank you for making it to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a like a comment, and subscribe to our channel. And if you want to give to the podcast, you can give at divinecreative.org, and that link will be in the bio and on our channel.